Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 258. My name is Vala Afshar, and I'm one of your co-hosts with Liz Miller for the next hour. El Froze, our producer. And we're going to go around. Uh, welcome to the green room. And in reverse order, introduce our guests for this episode. And we'll start with Liz. Liz, where are you dialing in from? The other Liz. No, the other Liz. <laughs> Liz Wiseman, please. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'm Liz Wiseman. I'm a management researcher and author, and um, I've written a few books, Multipliers, Rookie Smarts, and just finished um, Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. Awesome. Joelle? Awesome. Very good. Joelle Smith, uh, Chief Experience Officer at First Advantage. We do background screening. I am dialing in from uh, the beach. Decided to have a, uh, you know, a nice walk on a chilly ocean. Uh, Ocean stroll there. Um, but anyway, uh, happy to be here and uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. Dory? And hi, everyone. I'm Dory Clark, and I'm the author of this new book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. I teach at Duke and Columbia. I live in New York City, and the power behind the throne is actually my cat, Philip. <laughs> nice. <laughs> terrific, terrific. All right, Elle, let's, uh, let's start the show. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Liz, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Liz Miller. Liz is Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation, focused on the org-wide team sport known as customer experience. Well, covering I, like all, I need to spell it out. Well, covering all core pillars of CX, sales, service, marketing, Liz spends time zeroing in on the business demands of today's chief marketing officer, the evolution of customer engagement, and the rising requirement for a new security posture that accounts for the threat to brand trust. Liz is a 28-year marketing veteran. She started when she was four and is known in some very influential circles as the CMO whisperer. <laughs> Prior to joining Constellation Research, Liz oversaw research programs and content for Chief Marketing Officer Council, developed top leadership agenda for CMOs around the globe. She's an awesome follow on Twitter at Liz K. Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. Welcome back as co-host Liz Miller to the show TV. I'm so glad to be here, but I really had to come to uh, interview my sister of the Pioneer Valley um, because <laughs> it is like, it's going to be like, like women's college unite, you know, Mount Holyoke grad, whoop, whoop, you know, again, graduated when I was four. So let's just get that <laughs> off the table. I graduated and then immediately started working in marketing. So it's, you know, a lot of fun, but I'm so glad to be here. I'm super excited. So thanks for having me, Vala. It's our pleasure. I'll let Ray have... out of the box later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Our first guest, uh, Dory Clark, strategy consultant, executive coach, professor, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. Dory helps individuals and companies get their best ideas heard in a crowded, noisy world. This week, this week, Dory was named again one of 2021 top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was honored as number one communication coach in the world by Marshall Goldsmith Coaching Awards. Wow. Dory, Dory is a keynote speaker and teacher at Duke University School of Business and Columbia Business School. She's the author of Entrepreneurial You, which was named Forbes Top 5 Business Book of the Year. Uh, as well as Reinventing You and Stand Out, which was named number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. Her new book, I have a copy. <laughs> Liz, the what's long... your problem? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, Liz. Rookie co-host. Oh, I see. Oh, oh. very nice. <laughs> very digital. Uh, I'm the digital evangelist. Oh, you can download uh, her free long game self-assessment workbook and learn more about it, this incredible look at doryclock.com, The Long Game. Uh, former presidential campaign spokeswoman Dory uh, has been described at New York Times as expert at self-reinvention and helping others change their lives. Another awesome follow on Twitter. We only invite awesome people on Twitter on the show at Dory Clark. Welcome back, Dory, to Disrupt TV. Vala, thank you. Always a joy to see you. And Liz, good to see see you digitally. We were just we were just hanging in person a couple of weeks I know, ago. So that was great. I know. I love it. I love it. Liz, you have the first question. Okay, perfect. So I absolutely loved your presentation at CCE. It filled my head with way too many thoughts. So thanks for that. Um, but no, I thought it was terrific because one of the things that you said that there was a difference between being busy and being important. Like, okay, so let's dig into that. I like, and you know, again, wow. Like that's, 
a big thought. And everyone's got a book net. See now, and I'm, I just got my chapstick, guys. I don't know what to do here. Okay, so why do we confuse those two things? What is it that gets being busy and being important kind of stuck together and confused in people's minds? Yeah, I like I like your hand gestures because it's true. It is about wires getting crossed, right? So the first section of my new book, The Long Game, really digs into this question because it's not that most people think that being a long-term thinker is bad, right? There's not like an anti-long-term thinking constituency out there. The problem is that we think it's good, but we don't do it. And so I really wanted to try to excavate the question, why? You know, what's what's holding us back? You know, if everyone says it's so great, why are we not actually acting on that? And one of the biggest problems is that just about everybody these days feels like they are too busy. And it's that's not wrong. You know, they are really busy. But part of the challenge is that we're doing this to ourselves in a lot of cases. I mean, yes, we have things we have to do, but we are often making discretionary choices that are leading to downstream consequences where we really don't have time to think. And obviously that is problematic. And so the way to adjust it is, you know, we have to sort of ask like, okay, well, why do we keep doing this stupid stuff that we don't want to be doing? And there's some very interesting research out of Columbia University, a researcher named Sylvia Beletza and her colleagues. And they've looked into the fact that in contemporary American society, and, you know, in, in a number of other Western cultures as well, there is basically a, a huge linkage in many people's minds between being busy and being important. And so if we actually, you know, it's essentially a form of humble bragging, right? Like, oh, gee, Liz, how busy, you know, how are you doing? Oh, my God, I'm so busy. You know, <laughs> Rochambeauing over exhaustion, right? <laughs> Right. It's basically like the societally acceptable way of, of being like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so in demand. I am so incredibly popular. Wow. Thanks. Glad you asked. Um, but we actually hesitate sometimes to take the, to, you know, to take the actions, to make the steps that we need to extricate ourselves from it because it would cause an identity crisis. <laughs> I got to tell you, after you said that at CCE, I wrote down like on a good old fashioned piece of paper and stuck it on my computer that busy equals self-inflicted wound. Nice. Right? Because, because after you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I am doing this to myself. It, I have the capacity to say no to things that make me overly busy. It's, it's okay. So yes. I love that point. I loved it. I can't wait the next time somebody asks me, how you doing, Vala? I'm going to say, I've done nothing this past week. Yeah. <laughs> chilling. Know, month. I was, I was just thinking. I dare Vala after to say chilling <laughs> like a villain. I'm sorry. I just, I, like, that would be so good. Is everybody knows where I am because on Twitter, I kind of share everything. So it's like my digital diary. People know what I'm doing. Um, was there a turning point uh, in your career where you, you said, you know, I, I, I'm keeping a to-do list, but I need to keep a to-don't list as well because... <laughs> That's how I can prevent myself from, as John Wooden say, go fast, but don't hurry. Uh, you know, not, not, not always feel busy and, and work on things that may not be the best value for you and what your goals are. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And the truth is, I think for most of us, there, it's not necessarily one revelation after which everything changes. It's a continual reminding of ourselves because recidivism is very easy uh, when it comes to the crime of busyness. So we have to constantly keep refreshing our memory. But actually in the in the opening of the long game, I, uh, I tell a story. Yes. Mm -mm, yep. <laughs> Love it. I, I tell a story that about a t particular time that did stand out in my mind because it was, it was painful. You know, it was sort of this archetypal pre COVID moment um, where I was up at three o'clock in the morning because I had a five o'clock flight that I needed to catch from New York to Los Angeles. I was going to arrive at lunchtime in Los Angeles. I, I worked the full day. I went to the client site, worked the rest of the day until six, you know, had dinner that night by myself at, you know, what would have been like 930 at night in, in back in New York, fell asleep, worked a full day with a client the next day with my coaching client, flew to Atlanta in time to have dinner in Atlanta with more clients and then gave a speech the following morning. 
And, you know, it all that day, it all worked out. Right. I mean, it's like, thank God, you know, but but it wasn't flight delays. It all worked. And yet it was just still miserable and terrible. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And I think a lot of us have those moments where we have to sort of, you know, smack ourselves a little bit and be like, look, that's that's preposterous. You don't really have to do it that way. Yeah, that's a, that's such a great that's such a great point. I, but there's also something that really interesting in the book that you talk about because I didn't think of it this way. I'd always thought of it as just kind of like you think of it as like the list of things that you've done that you stick on your like resume, right? But you talk about it about building a life portfolio. Mm. Okay, so let's dig into that. What does that mean, and how does someone get it? <laughs> like, how, like, what do you like? I want one. <laughs> yeah, let's build that portfolio. Well, you know, in the long game, what I realized in writing it is there are actually a stunning number of parallels between just how we live our lives and good investing advice, right? Like if you literally, you know, for even somebody who's not into investing, if you literally know one thing about investing, if you, you know, like give us a piece of investing advice, even someone who has no idea, they're going to say, um, uh, diversify and you know, we know it's a really bad idea to take all your money and put it in one stock. That's probably not going to end well. <laughs> and yet so often in our lives, that's exactly the mistake we make, whether it is over investing everything in one job and like maybe ignoring our families and ignoring our health or whatever, or, you know, in over investing in a job and then you get laid off from that job. I mean, there's a lot of danger in that. So I am somebody that is all about how do we de-risk our enterprises? And if we are smart, mm. if we're able to allocate just a little bit, you shave off just a little bit. I talk about uh, in the long game, Google's 20% time where you have this little yeah. sort of experimental budget. Even if 20% if is too much, fine, do 10%, do 5%, right. but find whatever you can so that you are investing in something outside of your day-to-day -day because- that's what's going to keep you interested. That's what's going to keep you engaged. And that's what's going to keep you ahead of the curve so that you don't find yourself mm. just, you know, somehow caught flat footed by a change in circumstance. You have something else you can fall back on. And so, I mean, literally this week, for instance, um, you know, one of my journeys over the past five years has been investing my 20% time in learning how to write musicals. And so two days ago, I had a, a 10 minute musical that that was part of a showcase at a venue called symphony space in New York. And That's it was awesome. for the first time it was performed in front of a live audience with professional actors. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Where's the video? Wait a minute. <laughs> Can I like right now? I wish you could. Oh. There, there is going to be a video, but it is not okay. ready yet. Okay. Oh, we look forward to it. Please share with us when it's ready. So, you know, I believe, you know, developing a solid personal brand, or becoming recognized as an expert in your field like yourself is all about long-term thinking and doing, thinking and doing and adjusting. You've written about um, the three steps of rec being a recognized expert, content creation, uh, mm -hmm. garnering social proof to build credibility and building and scaling your network so people can amplify and stress test your ideas. Can you talk about the importance of long-term thinking when you as an individual are thinking about bolstering and building your personal brand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, ultimately part, part of the inspiration for writing a book about long-term thinking really was this quest that, that I've personally been on over the past 15 years of building my business. And then, you know, later on advising and coaching other people as they're working to, to build their business and, you know, as we say, grow their platform and things like that, because the, the truth is, you really do in some ways have to make a leap of faith because almost anything you do in terms of brand building or platform building is not going to show any results at all for a period, not of, not of days, not of weeks, not of months, but of years. Yeah. What my rule of thumb that I, that I advise people just, you know, because I think that accurate expectation setting is so important in this because otherwise you risk people really uh, getting frustrated and giving up too soon. But when it comes to becoming a recognized expert in your field or inside your company, um, I typically advise people that it takes between two to three years to show basically almost any progress mm. and about five years in order to show demonstrable progress. And, you know, that 
that sucks. I wish it were faster, but you know, <laughs> on the other hand, the time's going to pass anyway. So are you willing to embark on that quest? But I think it's important for us to mm. know what it takes before we make the choice to engage. Now I I'm curious, Vala, I've, mm. I've known you for a number of years. I think we first met maybe in 2013 at Biff in person. Mm. And I knew of you before that. Um, so, you know, you've, and you know, even back then you were just churning it out on Twitter and elsewhere. How, how do you think about the personal branding quests that you've been on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, to me, it's, as you said, it's not a hygiene issue. It's a health issue. So when I be out of breath going up a set of stairs, it's putting in the reps of sufficient sleep, caloric intake and exercise combined over a period of time. And then I feel more fit, more healthy. Uh, I think uh, when it comes to creating content, garnering social proof and, and then scaling through uh, by, by leveraging your network, that's uh, you got to put in the reps. You really have to put in the reps. And it took me a long time. I mean, I did all of this in terms of like social and writing and speaking after the age 40. Yeah. So I had like an immigrant silo mentality that you consume knowledge, you protect that knowledge and you extract as much value as you can from that knowledge. And that got me all the way to CMO before I joined Salesforce. But it was really in my 40s when I recognized that you know networking is about giving and it's a yeah. flow of knowledge that opens doors and brings you joy. So that silo mindset shifted to flows um, stocks of knowledge versus flows of knowledge. And, but as you said, it took years, <laughs> years. Uh, so you have to have, you know, a long-term view and some optimism and grit and persistence, which you talk about in your book. And it's uh, great advice for, especially folks who are dealing with the pandemic for the last 20 months, because those time scales that you mentioned, you know, for some, it might be even longer because yeah. you don't have those random collisions like you and I had at Biff a business innovation factory conference. So how do you earn a sponsor or a mentor when for 20 months you haven't been in the office and it's only, you know, very, very um, deliberate meetings about mm -hmm. projects, you know, versus the, again, those random collisions. It's really hard. Yeah. You know, the thing that I love that you both talked about that is I, I have always found core to even just the words thought leadership is you're both talking about, standing the test of time as well, right? That that it's not just an idea you throw out there. Like green is awesome, right? You know, like it's not just it's not just a random thought. And I, I think a lot of people confuse content, which can be great and thought provoking and awesome with thought leadership, because you know, back to Dory, your point of I'm busy, that makes me important. If I said something and I call it thought leadership, that makes it even more important, right? It's like I've elevated because I'm a thought leader now. But thought leadership is when it, it's like neither of you intended to be thought leaders. It's not like at 10, Dory and Vala were sitting in their rooms like, I'm going to be a thought leader. Like that just wasn't part of this journey. But you guys have both delivered those thoughts that have stood the test of time and have weighed in that longevity, which I absolutely love. And so Liz, I just made the thinkers 1 million. So <laughs> you know, I am, I don't consider myself. Dude, I'm not even on the leader. thinkers I'm list. Student. I'm in the, I'm in the, like <laughs> the girl that gets called when like someone didn't show list. So that's cool. Like million. that's my list. Like, is too small. Yeah. Really too small. I'm down with that jam. Like it's totally fine. Like I'm on the, like, yeah. <laughs> but, that's, but Dory, it is about humility and accessibility and generosity. Uh, you know, uh, all of us have had the good fortune of being connected with you for many, many years. Uh, you know, it, it, everything that you share is, is with deep reflection, radical transparency, humility, a beginner's mindset. So it's not loud, it's not in your face, it's the power of pull because of yeah. you know, all of the incredible research and experiences you've had. Any advice for people that you know, are, are Ooh, that's a good maybe point. young in their career and they're looking to you know, make a list of some sort or, or, or you know, uh, get, get, get that privilege of having a sponsor or a mentor? What can they do when they're beginning in their career um, playing the long game? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And I, I just briefly want to pick up on Liz's point first about the question of thought leadership. I This is something I think about a lot. I, a few years ago, I did an episode of the Harvard Business Review IdeaCast uh, podcast, specifically talking about this question 
of the the the, the interview frame was is is being is is it was something like is being a thought leader gross <laughs> that was like the title i think right. and it was you know the, the the wonderful woman who was the host at the time she's like yeah i think the term is a little bit like icky like i don't know <laughs> and so she's like okay dory defend it and the way that i like to think about it is okay here's what's gross it is gross if you are like i'm a thought leader because yes! it's like so yes! pretentious like this is thought leadership like ew don't tell me a lion doesn't have to roar yeah right exactly yeah it's like it's like a very much like a lady doth protest uh so yes i love that um but it is of course a huge compliment when somebody else calls yeah. you a thought leader and so the way that i'd like to think about it is like okay first rule don't call yourself a thought leader but second of all if somebody else says it about you that's very nice because what it implies, I think the term itself is actually something worth aspiring to, because number one, if you are a leader, that sort of inherently means you have to have followers, right? You have to be saying something good enough that other people dig it. So that at least is um, some kind of a, uh, a show that people find value in it. And being a thought leader implies that there is some kind of intellectual or cont content or heft to what you're talking about. You're not an influencer. You, right. you are known for your thoughts. So I feel like both of those things are good as long as it's applied to you by other people. That's um, terrific. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. But to Vala, to, to your point about, you know, for, for younger people who want to create a brand or, you know, some maybe it's not even a younger person, but somebody who's been maybe more internally focused and they're like, all right, it's time to have our little coming out party here. Um, <laughs> how do you do it? One of the things that I hear the most, because, you know, I have a lot of folks I coach, right? You know, I run an online community um, focused around this for professionals that are looking to kind of build their platform. And so I hear a lot from people that one of their first concerns is, well, you know, I don't know what I would say, or I don't know what I have to offer that would be distinctive or that would be meaningful for other people. Like it feels like, you know, all the good stuff has been taken essentially. Um, and so for those people, my life hack, and this is something that I did personally, is I think it's really useful to actually start out, like, don't even worry about like what you are going to say, like what your big declaration is to the universe. Find a way to interview other people. Because the truth is, mm. if if you're connecting with with other, you know, with other quote unquote thought leaders in the field, number one, you're building your network so they know who you are. Number two, you are getting smarter because you're actually getting much more intimately familiar with how they think. And then number three, it gives you a way, once you've taken in enough information, to begin to start to say, well, you know, I like that piece that Vala said and that piece that Liz said and that piece that Ray said and blah, blah, blah. And it enables you to kind of triangulate and create your own formulation that feels yeah. right to you. I love that. Well, so I love that. that. That's actually the secret it, why Ray and I started the show. I, Spend Fridays with super smart people. We have uh, Dory Clark. Turn oh, the book sorry, around. Back of the book. Yeah. <laughs> the Long Game, How to Be a Long Amazing. In the Short-Term World. Follow Dory on Twitter at Dory Clark. Thank you so much for being an awesome thought leader, influencer, yes. and a friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both. So great to be here. Oh, uh, so great Thanks. to see you again, Dory. Wow. That was, she's awesome. She's awesome. She's even more awesome in person. Like she's awesome. She's uh, like, awesome. We only have awesome guests. I uh, know. And, hey, uh, Joelle, what's going on? Hi. Hey, my gosh, that was awesome. She is fantastic. She is so great. Our so great. Is, uh, Joelle Smith, Chief Experience Officer uh, at First Advantage, a leading global provider of technology solutions for human capital background screening, verification, safety, and compliance. Under Joelle's leadership, a team of nearly 500 global product engineering and data scientist staff drive the organization's technology innovation and growth. Joelle's team have uh, released numerous novel and patent-pending solutions that enable Fortune 100 businesses to onboard faster, so important, and hire smarter in the changing talent landscape. There's a talent war going on, so this yeah. is critically important. Name as a TA tech, most influential TA thought leader. Thought leader. Somebody else said it. Somebody else somebody said else. it. It's okay. Yeah, you didn't say it's, it. It's fine. It's fine. It. Joelle is passionate about leading by example of delivering tangible business outcomes through disruptive innovation. Since joining First Advantage in 2017, Joelle has also advanced the company's diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Her work in the vital areas earned her the Woman Worth Watching distinction by 
Diversity Journal, and most recently, Joelle has been recognized as an inspiring leader by Inspiring Workplace for her shaping diversity and inclusion strategies during her tenure. You can follow Joelle on Twitter at Joelle M. Smith. Welcome, Joelle, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much for having me. It's hey, Joelle. I, I really feel like Dory's conversation was like the perfect setup. I couldn't believe for it. Your like, conversation. Crazy. Like I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, she's talking about like, what do young people do? Like, what do we do with all this happening? So it kind of leads into the first question we wanted to ask you, right? Yeah. Okay. So tell me. Is there really a great resignation happening? Like, is this, like, is this a thing? Like, cause I just kind of need to know, like, are we really in it? Like, yeah. is it just a headline? Are we doing this? Like, yeah. and what's the, what's the real impact going to be? Because I think we can talk about like, people are unhappy. There's this great resignation that's happening, but what, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, I think, Dory landed it perfect talking about the um, the life portfolio um, yeah. because I think everybody in the last few years has kind of lifted their head and figured out what you know what do I want to do what am I doing and what impact am I making um, and we're seeing it so. You know we talked a little bit about the screening um, we I'm fortunate in being able to see kind of before the jobs kind of get started, right? So you can kind of see these trends in where some of the generational populations are shifting, moving, and how often they're moving. Um, yeah. And it's growing. Um, so is it real? Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, I think it puts an added pressure on some of the companies to be able to adjust, you know, accordingly. Um, but I think what's been talked about as far as kind of the the great resignation um i mean the data that we have um over the last like 24 months or so about 10 percent each year we're seeing what we call kind of like multi-screen so people mm. who are applying for a job getting screened multiple times two or more inside of one year um so you are seeing a big shift and a lot of articles are writing about the 30 to kind of 45 range um, what I'm seeing and what we're seeing is actually more on the early, you know, the early stage. So like that Gen mm -hmm. Z market, um, we actually just did a bunch of research around this. And one of the crazy stats was 56% of them are looking to jump uh, inside the next year. And wow. they haven't been in the market very long. Right? So we're talking about people from 96 to 2005. So they're less than 25 years old. And there are there over half of them are looking to jump. You know, so so what wow. is it? Are they not feeling fulfilled in their job? Are they not feeling like they're contributing? Is the company not lined up with what they want to do? Um, and there's just so many options out there, and and companies, you know, went through a lot. People went through a lot. You know, so where can you find happiness and that balance, and not oversubscribe on your job, oversubscribe on that one thing? That's very much what Dory was talking about, and we're really seeing it kind of in the numbers. So, is it here? Yeah. Um, is it really about quitting the job though, or is it about needing more fulfillment? And I think that's yeah. what I, you know, I find so, you know, interesting about it. So I think when people start talking about it, we kind of have this image of people just like walking in and being like, I'm out. Like, I'm like, like they're going right. out in like this blaze of glory. Like right. I'm unhappy. Like, yeah. but that's not really what's happening. Like, no. it doesn't seem like that's what's happening. It seems like people are on like. A quest like they're searching for something yeah i agree and that's what's leading like so but but i think when people write about the great resignation when i hear people that's talk terrible. about yeah. it it's always like that like the kid that puts his resignation on the mcdonald's sign right <laughs> like you know like that's what i have in my head but i know that's not what's happening so no it's definitely so i i was uh i'm a member of the cnbc technology council and we had our in-person meeting this week first time in 20 months, we met in person. That's there awesome. were about 50 uh, CXOs of very large companies, the biggest brands in the world. And uh, top of mind uh, was absolutely the war on talent. Absolutely. Um, Carl uh, Quintalino, who's a CNBC anchor for TechCheck, uh, this week tweeted uh, Jeffrey's findings on great resignation. And uh, the, 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 the Jeffrey's finding was number one, compensation is, is, is the reason for employees. Number two, burnout. Um, uh, and it's prevalent across all industries. Uh, flexibility is the new normal. Like yep. you're, 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 you're 
you're bringing in talent by recruiting your competitors' talents. So, uh, and uh, and the work from anywhere means you have no longer physical constraints in terms of where you get the folks. And then 80% of the respondents to this survey said they actually support a four-day week work week, four-day work wow. week. So your thoughts about so so it is absolutely real, and it's not a McDonald's person, although that's happening too. The 11 million open sure jobs. Is, are, yeah. yeah, the service industry is a big part of that. But right. we're talking engineers, data scientists, yeah, CXOs, and people are leaving. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts about this work from anywhere and this distributed digital only or digital first world, which now mm -hmm. enables us to hire people literally from anywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there are they. I mean, they they definitely are. They are looking. It's um, it's every industry across the board. Tech's definitely getting hit the hardest. Um, and you know, you you have, I think. I think what people are really looking for and how they're kind of addressing this, um, you know, they're just, they're focused on um, I, like they're, they're personal, obviously what they're trying to do, what they're trying to, to accomplish. But I think, I think the companies are, are playing a little bit of, of catch up. Um, you know, it's, everybody has had a lot of opportunity to kind of, figure out kind of what this new normal is. And I think they were worried so much on their business and how to make things work. Um, I think the employees have been in the process of just, you know, trying to, okay, okay now, now we're where we are. Okay, this is the new normal. Now, now what is now this, what? where are we going? Right, yeah, exactly. And how is this, how is this affecting me? Um, and I think that's some of the things that, you know, companies are, trying to adjust to and that's why with this kind of talent war that we're seeing you're seeing um the competitors it's like the folks who've kind of thought about it a little bit ahead hmm. and have really started to put the you know here's what we are here's our new strategy right here's how we adjusted right we, we we were playing you know everybody's trying to figure it out right so the companies that have figured it out and put a great message out there and really strong and get people to kind of relate to it and have a, like a culture connection with that they're the ones mm. that are kind of making it work. And then that's where the, the people who are maybe not comfortable in whether or not they know what the new normal is, that's that's more attractive, you know, where they just kind of want to know and they will really be part of something and they've kind of figured it out. So I think yeah. it's a little bit of a push and pull from the employee and the, and the company perspective. And I think that's really where we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of people feel, you know, you know, where they want to be. Okay. Is, is people who figured it out. But I'm, I'm kind of curious because are we trying to solve new problems with old solutions, right? So we, we have these employees, we have people, you know, of multiple generations, especially that younger mm -hmm. generation at work, right? Yep. Who are really looking for new values and that new portfolio yep. in their That's careers cool. and in their lives. And yep. I keep seeing so many companies responding to that mm -hmm. by like just reshuffling the deck on what the job description is, right? So they like, they put the bullet, like in the Silicon Valley, we're famous for the bulleted list at the very bottom. That's like, we have a foosball table, endless snacks in the refrigerator. And you know, like they, yeah, they yeah. put the, they put yeah, these yeah. things at the bottom that they mm -hmm. think are valuable. Yep. And so now they're like, oh, wait, people, people are resigning because they're looking for more. They want empathy from their employers. Mm -hmm. They want a mission and vision from their employers. Yep. They want these big, meaty issues. And we've like, endless snacks. Like we just, right, we're, <laughs> right? like we're, first, we're taking first. an old, we're taking an old solution of take yes. the same exact job description because we need to hire talent and we're in a talent war. Right. Let's let's put our ammo up top as opposed to putting the battle. Like you know, like they're long. Yeah. But like, so does that mean we need like we as managers, we as hiring organizations, we as companies, yeah. we have to change what we understand the value of our jobs and the value of the 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 space they're going to occupy. Like, yeah. Like we're the ones that have to do all the changing. Like we got to do it now. Yeah. You're. you're you're totally right. I mean, like we're looking at it too. Like I, you know, from just an experience perspective, it's not just about the customer or what the company is doing. It's about the people inside the employee right. experience and putting that first and figuring out what they want. We actually just was a research study we did just a couple of weeks ago where the Gen Z market prioritizes a company's DEI strategy and a clear right. vision 
as a like like take the job criteria like will not take a job unless they see a very clear defined strategy for DEI and it's not just a bullet on the website or exactly. a conversation right kind of to to your point yes. and, and a lot of companies again also in the research over half of them and we did a survey on the the webinar too it was like over half of them are like I think we're like middle of the road we're still working on it. We're getting, right. and it's because it's because it's hard, right? So, it's it's how far along are you with where you want kind of the company to be, and right. then how do you relate to the people either you're trying to attract um, to hire or that are already with your company? But but it's it's table stakes now, whereas before yes. it was something that was a nice to have. Um, you know, you you really do. You need to know who you are. You need mm. to know what you want to be, and you need to be legitimate about where you're going and so that somebody feels it um, right. and understands that as part of your culture and not just a, a statement. Um, and to and Dory's point, you have to have the proof, right? Like Dory and Vala, we're talking about it. Like you have to have exactly. the social proof. It's it's one thing to have the bullet that says, we're an inclusive environment. We love everyone. We want everyone yeah. to come as their own person. And then like, you're like, okay, great. Tell me how that happens. Yes. And yeah. then the person talking to you is like, right. they're like whoa, we're, you come yeah. as your own person, <laughs> right. like, you know, like, that's not, yeah. that's not it. No, no, yeah, no. absolutely. No, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. In, in a, in a hyper-connected knowledge sharing economy, you can't just throw words out there. You have, you have to live your ethos and it has, you have to have social proof, like you said. Yeah. So in March, my company was around 60,000 then, we're 72,000 now. Wow. Um, what? Like, yes, for like water on a gremlin over there. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Uh, and, and the light switch, literally, I think over a span of a few days, weekend, we had our entire company working remotely because to achieve optimal speed, you have to design for movement. And being Absolutely. a cloud first company for two decades, yep. we were designed for movement. Um, yep. Everybody could do their job on their mobile devices. Yeah, absolutely. When, when you talk about speed to hire, yeah. Which is so important because yeah. again, when you don't have the talent on your bench or on the court, you're not scoring points. You, you're yeah. losing. Yep. How do you design for movement in terms of speed to hire? And why is it so much more important now than pre-pandemic? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so critical. So, you know, supply and demand is flipped upside down, right? Mm -hmm. So companies need employees more than people want to work or 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 you know are planning to work. Um, <laughs> so that's changing, right? So um, so you are trying to hire the same person the three other companies are hiring, um, regardless of the industry that you're in. Um, so getting them on board very quickly and keeping them engaged throughout the entire process is really critical. Um, we actually, you know, when you're trying to bring somebody on board, there's the first part, which is the interview and all that, and you have the screening, of course, and then there's the day one and, and obviously the job. Um, but what some of the research that we did showed that is if the company does not have a good onboarding. Like, so basically hmm. you're you're speaking the same thing, you're talking about your you know true culture and value in the interview process, the screening is seamless, and then you kind of get started. Um, if you do that well, you will actually have your employees stay on average three years. Wow. If you don't, wow. it drops considerably. And that's because you're not engaged with the person. Like they have a sense of belonging when they come on. Like, I know who I'm going to work with. I feel good about this. This is something that mm -hmm. matches with me. And now if there's some bumps as you keep going, you, it's okay because first impression is so important. And it's really critical to kind of make sure that works up front. And that speed to hire is part of that, right? So yeah. you're so pumped to get this new job, yeah. and and you know, and they know all of a sudden you gotta wait like weeks and weeks, or somebody's like, oh, Nick, no, I'm sorry, I know you've spoken with you know ten people here already. Here's a I panel, right. two more, and you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now now we're gonna offer you, but now we're gonna do background check, and it's gonna take you five weeks to get that. Like. <laughs> Nobody wants that. It's like, here, how about we do this? And then you'll start tomorrow. Does that sound great? Because we'd love to have you start. Or when they don't do the, they, they say, we need to do the background check. And oh, by the way, it's going to take five weeks. And oh God, we totally forgot to start it. Yeah. I've oh, actually well, heard that story yeah. just yeah. recently yeah. where some, they were like, hey, are you going to, are you going to, are you going to take the job? Like the HR people called back and were like, are you going to take the job? And they were like, are you going to actually start the background check? Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know folks that have joined companies uh, and, weeks on the job and they're contacting help desk. When will I get my laptop? 
Yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. They don't have the tools. They don't have the tools. No, exactly. And work from home is even worse, right? So you're there and it's like, you know, day one, you you don't have a laptop. You don't have your ID. You don't have your email address. You're just kind of like sitting there like, cool, am I employed? or Enjoy setting up your VPN. Yeah. I'm not going to get a paycheck. What's happening here? Right. Like, who's my boss? Like, why haven't you know? So. You're the accidental IT help desk. Like, right. every employee during the pandemic became the accidental CIO of their department of one. Yeah. And they're totally. like, You're exactly enjoy right. setting up your email. Good, yeah. good yeah. luck to you. Good luck. Yeah. Exactly. My last question is that, you know, when you think about like a stop stoplight, you know, we've had red, everyone's at home. Then... Yep yellow which is yes you can come back but then there's a delta variant and now you're back to back you know is it green is it and of course you know orange is the worst state because some some go through it and and unfortunately that's not the right is this stop and start that we've experienced certainly this year you know the beginning of the vaccination and delta variant and some spikes we're seeing even today does that really um challenge companies in terms of the policies they need to have in place in terms of demonstrating flexibility to their onboarding and their existing employees that we will respond based on science. And that may be a stop and start, but as long as we communicate to you as often as possible and and practice radical transparency, uh, we'll get through this together. Any advice for companies that have some rigidity like, you know, no one has to come back ever. And then they change their mind. No, we really want you to come back. Everyone now. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. What can they do to really stay nimble and adaptable? Yeah, absolutely. So communication is key. And, you know, I always say like communication, it's not about just like sending out the email or it's it's about like how they comprehended, understood, consumed the information and feel good about it. Um, And that when you're at home is really hard, right? Because you're not able to kind of get that pulse and figure out kind of, you know, so I think some of the the traditional models of, well, I sent an email out and I know we we're going to open on September 1st, but you know, things change and you know, whatever. So it's like those different forms of communication, you know, SMS and just the non-traditional ways, video, right? Video is super hot right now where everybody is obviously here, you know, but it's just like you communicate that message and it's like, you understand, you can empathize, you can help people get, yeah. and then open up for that reception of information. Um, that's something that I think, and take it. <laughs> And use it, right? So, and right, make sure people know that you are listening and, you know, the frustration. So we found a lot of success in that from a just a communication and, and response perspective. Love that. Yeah, love so that. Much. that was Let terrific. questions be okay. I love that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and be ready to respond in, a, in an empathetic uh, way. Joelle Smith, Chief Experience Officer at First Advantage. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks, Thank Joelle. Wow, Liz. Okay. Okay. I'm well, kind of exhausted. Is that well, bad? Like Liz, I kind of need to take a nap. Are we yeah. okay with that? Like put we'll just take a little seat, break. Put, we'll all come back later. Belt on and get I your pump ready. I need a brain nap. You know, because uh, <laughs> I was having so much fun watching you, but I was feeling so left <laughs> out because I was like wanting to be like, look, I got Dory's book too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I still just got my chapstick. That's awesome. Okay, if uh, anyone shows a book again, I just have my chapstick. Okay. I'm just telling it's you, that's all I got chapstick. right now, people. <laughs> Liz Wiseman is a researcher, executive advisor who teaches leadership to executives around the world. This is the author of New York Times bestseller, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, The Multiplier Effect, uh, uh, Tapping Genius Inside Our Schools, and Wall Street Journal bestselling, Rookie Smarts, While Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. Liz's new book, is titled Impact Players, How to Take the Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. Liz is also the CEO of the Wiseman Group, a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley, California. Liz was also named this week, this week, again, as one of the thinkers, 50 uh, top uh, leadership thinkers in the world, 2021 thinkers list that came out earlier this week. Liz has conducted significant... Liz Miller, we have two thinkers 50 on one show. That's unbelievable. I'm not <laughs> Liz, one of them, so I'm just going to reiterate that. That's awesome. Liz has conducted significant research in the field of leadership and collective intelligence and rights for Harvard Business Review, Fortune, and a variety of other business and leadership journals. A former executive at Oracle Corporation, Liz worked over the course of 17 years as vice president of Oracle University and global leader of human resources development. Another awesome follow. Again, we only have awesome follows on Twitter on the show at Liz Wiseman, W-I-S-E. 
M-A-N. Welcome, Liz, to Disrupt TV. I am so glad now to talk. be here. Yeah, we just... <laughs> I've been having a great time listening. Oh, thank you so much. This is, oh, this awesome. is our favorite part of Friday because we get to be students listening to big minds such as yourself. So Liz Miller, the first question is yours. Okay. This is a big one because I love, I love the whole conversation. Love that. Like what's an impact player. Like I kind of feel like I just needed to like throw that out there at you. Um, and I, of course I need to do it right. And you probably could use a sip of water. So I apologize. I was going to say, but let's like just get right into it because I think everyone's trying to find their space. We heard from Dory trying to find that portfolio, you know, just heard from Joelle want to, you know, employees want to jump in. They want to find something new. They're trying to find that fulfillment, but how do they find that fulfillment as an impact player? What does that mean? Well, an impact player. Okay. So it's a metaphor that I'm borrowing from sports and it's the kind of people who are clutch, who come mm. through, when it matters, who like totally need a sip of water, but they're like, you know what? Not now. You know, I'm going to pull dirt. We're going. <laughs> but it's it's a, the standout contributor who brings value everywhere they go. So they're incredible contributors themselves, but they're also people who make entire teams better. People are confident around mm. them. Like, you know what? We got this because we got Liz Miller on our team. Mm. Like, you know what? I feel Watch. like to win, and so like people step up around these kinds of contributors. And, yeah, and you know, I started looking at this because, you know, I, I came out of all these years I've spent looking at the best leader. So I, I had this great honor of being able to study some of the most amazing leaders in the world. Yeah. You know, the kind of leaders who bring out the best in others, who people play big around, who, you know, utilize people's intelligence. And I noticed that they describe working for these leaders as, you know, a little bit tiring, like totally exhilarating. And then I've heard people. And so part of the honor of studying and writing about some of the best leaders is I also study some of the worst leaders in the world. <laughs> Yeah, and, right. I, and I write about Liz, don't leaders. hold back. Tell us who they are. No, no, no. I'm, I'm a magnet for bad leadership. Like people <laughs> like corner me in elevators and like, no, you think you know bad bosses, Liz. I have to tell you about my boss. So everyone that I know has told me about like the worst boss they've ever had. Liz will talk. And I'm, yeah, I'm it's like, not Ray. It's not Ray. It's not Ray. But I had someone clip their finger fingernails and, and lit cuticles. So we'll, we'll talk. And so in studying some of the worst leaders, you know, and people talk about, wow, you know, like I came to work all excited to contribute, but. And then it was like. Utilized. And like they're shut down and they hold back and they're stymied and, you know, diminished is the term I've used. And here's what I've learned. It's this truth that I've learned about this, which isn't really a truth about leadership. It's a truth about contributorship is that people all around the world come to work desperately wanting to be utilized. Like no one wants to be used, but people want to be utilized and people want to oh, contribute. Yeah. I can't find the lazy people who want like the easy gig. People want to show up and contribute and people crave impact. And mm. when they do work where they contribute fully and they're having impact, work is exhilarating. And even hard work feels a little effortless and fun and exhilarating, like a little tiring, but kind of like a good workout where you're like, I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. I'm energized, I feel good. And so, you know, I've been really fascinated that people want impact. People want to do work that matters, that has meaning, and people want to contribute. No one wants, like, to sit there. Yeah, nobody wants to yeah. turn a crank. But yet I get so many managers say, oh, yeah, they're not stepping up. And so I've been looking at what causes people to be impactful. And here's the seed that I want to plant, given what, you know, you were talking about with Dory and Joelle. is like we are we're dealing with this burnout epidemic and the great resignation. And we're all thinking it's it's because people are working too hard. And I do not think mm. this is the case. Now, I think there's a lot of people who are working hard, sure. but working hard does not cause burnout burnout more often than not is caused by a lack of impact yeah wow. 
fruitless work. We're we're going through the motions. We're working hard, but we're not making a difference. We're not seeing where our work is going. Yeah. Like I, I want us to look at this burnout epidemic and say, this is not about taking our foot off the accelerator. This like, great. Give people some time off, like a little R and R would do everyone some good. (laughs) You know, but what we really need is we need to create workplaces where people can contribute fully, where people are making a difference and having impact. I think that's why people are out there looking for new jobs. It's like, it's not that I want to love that point. I want to do work that matters. I actually want to contribute fully, not less. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. So, so sticking to sports analogies, I've had coaches throughout my career say you can't teach speed. Um, I don't know if I agree with it because I've actually seen folks become faster and, and more mobile at what they do. But can you teach clutch? Like when I'm in Boston, when David Ortiz in the 13th inning beats a grand slam or when Larry Bird wants the ball or Michael Jordan, all these athletes, Brady, in every sport, uh, you know who the clutch person is. You know they want the ball, they want the puck. Uh, they want to be at bats when the game is on the line. And that's not true for all players. It takes something special, self-confidence, awareness, whatever it may be. Or they put in the reps where now they've earned the right to be clutch at that moment when it matters most. Can you teach clutch? Is is it it something that that, that can be taught? Well, I think, well, it's it's a good question. It's part of why I did this research because these people, everyone knows who they are. If you ask any manager, who are your impact players? For sure. They know. They know. This person, this person, this person. And then you ask why. Hmm. I don't know. It's like a certain thing. Like, Mala, he just gets it. Like, he gets it done. Like, I can give him the no-look pass. Like, right. he's clutch. And so my work on this was, like, I want to know what the je ne sais quoi is. Like, I want to know what is this thing that people are doing hmm. that makes them so valuable that makes them so influential and impactful and so you know the book is basically here's what that anatomy looks like here's what they do here's what they do differently than other people and there's small differences like you know what when there's a messy problem and it's not that department's domain it's not this department's it's not like his job her job it's kind of like nobody's job it's out in no man's land but yet it's really important and it's kind of everyone's job, but no, like, I think most of the important work sits in no man's land. Yeah, for sure. And most people- That used to be called Liz's land in my last company. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it was just like Liz's land. Like, there you go. It's- That's that's like, that's an, an indication of impact player because like what most people do is they do their job. Yeah. This is my job. This is my part of it. Here's what I do. And the impact players, they do the job that needs to be done. I love and, and there's like a get it factor. Um, you know, one of the mm-hmm. of my team, Karina, I, I, I say, you know what? She gets it and she gets it done. Yeah. And it's that first thing. She like knows what's important. Yeah. And so the book kind of like breaks down. What are the five things they do very differently than other people? And they're all situations around uncertainty and ambiguity. Okay. Then that was the easy part of the book. Then, <laughs> well, wait a minute. What part of that is teachable and what part isn't? Mm-hmm. Now, I have to say, my background is I come out of learning and development. I ran Oracle University. And I also am a natural born optimist. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I look at everything. And this is probably why I did well at Oracle. Because like every hard thing anyone ever gave me, I'm like, it can't be that hard. <laughs> There's a solution for that. Like, come on. Yeah. I love that. I'm like, how hard would that be? And so I, I'm of like a practicer of the naive yes. I say yes to things. And I don't mean... I say yes to everything, like yeah. the busy thing. Yeah. I say yes to things before my brain kicks in and figures out that I don't know how to do that. And then I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually harder. So my inclination is to think it's all learnable. This is yeah. all doable. Just say yes. But then my brain kicks in and I went and did more of the research looking at what part of this is easily learnable and what part of it isn't. Mm. And there are some parts that are hard to change certainly about other people like as a manager it's hard to like go like uh like there are certain people who just get it and other people don't it's actually one of the things that's harder to teach so a savvy leader smart organization what do they do Mm. take a look at the model hire for the things that aren't easily coachable like speed Mm. height um 
and then coach for the things that are. And so part of what I was really excited about is like saying, here are the parts that you put in your hiring profile. And this is what you put in your training and your coaching plan. I love that. I love a couple that. things that are hard to teach. Um, humor. You, you gained so much street cred with the no look pass reference. Right. We're like, we're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah. yeah, we're good. This is definitely a sports person. That's we're awesome. Good. <laughs> that was great. But, but okay, so how did you choose? Okay, so you, unbelievable topic, super important. How did you choose who you were going to feature in your book? You know, were they particular characteristics? By the way, my Twitter feed is full of references to your book by other people, like Brené Brown. Hey, this is an impact player by Liz Wiseman. So it's our congratulations. I know. You know I love it that Brené loved the, the, the book. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, That's it's awesome. Really awesome. It's really awesome. But how did you pick? How did you pick the folks you were going to feature? Well, first of all, we didn't pick who was an impact player. So we went to managers and we're like, who are your impact players? They're like, mm. Liz Miller, one of those people. And so then we have 170 of these. And then I'm like, I want to, I want to interview all of them. I want to write about all of them. But then I had to, so I, I picked um, kind of this real diverse mix of people. Mm. And, you know, I have, there's a couple favorites in there. Two of my favorites are at Salesforce. And then, um, Oh, I've got some favorites that are over at Target and some at SAP. That's awesome. And so a few of them are my favorites, but I'm really picking from a mix of industries and a mix of jobs and a mix of levels. Some of them are senior executives. Some are are quite low level. Some of them are, you know, um, really kind of front office and mm-hmm. visible jobs. Others are very behind the scenes. Like one of my favorites is... Um, actually someone who didn't pop out of my research is I'm writing the book and this is during the pandemic and we've got someone who's living with us and he's a, um, a, a surgical resident at Stanford. And I'm telling him about the difference between people who do their job versus do the job that actually needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I'm describing kind of the mindset, and the characteristics. He's like, that's like Jojo. And I'm like, who's Jojo? He goes, Oh, you know, Jojo, the surgeon, the scrub tech down at Valley med. And and I'm like, well, tell me about JoJo. He goes, oh, yeah, when you do surgery with JoJo. And so a scrub tech, their job is to have make sure all the surgical instruments are clean. And then when yep. the surgeon asks for them to handle, you know, it's scalpel. It's that moment. Sure. And he's like, that's not what JoJo does. So JoJo, first of all, he lays out all the instruments in the order that they're going to be needed so that they're like ready in a moment's notice. And during surgery, he's not listening for the requested instrument. He's watching the surgeon's hands. Like, what is the surgeon doing? What's next? What's important right now? Right there. Surgeon. Okay, now this is a um, part of this academic rotation. So there are not just experienced surgeons. There are residents. Mm -hmm. Fancy word for surgeons who don't yet know what they're doing. (laughs) But yet are operating on people. Like, you know, got their... And so... When, when Jojo's asked for an instrument, he doesn't always hand over the one that was asked for. He hands over the ones that is needed. That's needed. Wow. That's amazing. He it over. And he's now telling a surgeon who's been through like, you know, 47 years of college. And, and, and he's saying, here, why don't you try this one? And, and nobody pushes back because he does it gently. Mm-hmm. But young residents are so grateful he doesn't just do his job. You know, he does the job. Yeah. Done. And even, you know, I talked to some of the senior res, uh, surgeons and they're like, oh yeah, no, we go to Jojo before surgery to find out like what instruments should we be using and what's mm. the best tool for the job. Wow. And like, yeah. and so there's all sorts of people. Jojo that is, is one of that my is favorites. A- I just so, love it. Yeah. So but, being able to have uh, your anticipatory muscle, Jojo is anticipating you know, the, I guess the famous uh, Gretzky, go where the puck is going, not where it is. Are most what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And he's it. watching, like, what's important right now. And I think it's actually one right. of the skills of people who have a lot of influence is they're not just doing their job. They're paying attention. What's important? What's important to our team? Right. But they, they have a wider view. And I think that's the thing. It's, it's interesting what you're talking about, because it's the thing that people miss about that statement from Wayne Gretzky's dad, right? Is because... It's not that Wayne Gretzky was so good at looking down at the ice and seeing the puck and figuring out where the puck needed to go. It's that Wayne Gretzky had the capacity to not be in his ego of, I'm the greatest of all time, like I'm the goat on the ice. 
he had the capacity to zoom out and see the entire game and see the entire play start to happen. Jojo kind of zooms out and can see the entire field of play can see these, you know, the surgery, the surgeon, the patient, everyone there. And that's what I love about what you're talking about. Impact players, right? Like think magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy. Uh. Right. Okay. Right. Like I know you don't, but that's why I bring them up. (laughs) Go over in Celtics land for just a second. But it's because magic Johnson always knew he was going to have that great moment because James worthy was always there time and time again. Now there's a story behind magic and I were probably getting close to our time, but I'll see if I could share this fast. Like there was a point where magic was all about him Yeah. in high school, his coach arguably say to him, Because he's a phenom. High school champion, NCAA champion, rookie champion. Why not? I mean. Irvin, every time you get the ball, I want you to take the shot. So he does. He scores a lot of points. They win every game. They will win with 54 points, and Irvin will have scored 50 or 52 of them. Mm -hmm. And it goes on win after win after win until they get to, like, one particular game. Nothing special. Not a championship. The game's over. Celebration's over. He's a hero. The other players are leaving the gymnasium with their parents. And he happens, this young man, I just love this idea that this high school kid sees the faces of the parents who, of course, came there to see their kids play. Their kid shine. Their kid shine. And what do they get? Magic show. Right. Magic. Early version of, you know, Lakers Showtime magic. And it gets him. And he made this decision that he would use his God-given talent. Wow to help everyone on the team be a better player. So it's like he plays big, but mm-hmm. he's not just seeing the whole court, like where can he go? He's seeing the other players. Right. He's seeing their parents. Like, what can I do to help that player shine? And, right. and I think it's this, what I learned about these impact players, they're not prima donnas. They're not showboats. Yeah. They're, not, they're not trying to be. They're not trying. I, I think what's so interesting about what you're talking about and even if you talk about, you know, someone on a team, when I think about my old teams and my impact players, the one thing I will say about every single one of them, not one of them came to work thinking they were going to be an impact player. Not one of them took the job because they're like, I'm going to be an impact. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be the queen. I'm going to rule this. They said, I want to go do something great. And that's how they did it. But yeah, gosh, we could probably sit here for like another hour, either talking about sports or talking about leadership. And Liz like, Wiseman could be down with that for but... ESPN. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So much sports knowledge. I love it. <laughs> you were awesome. I love uh, it. It was Liz Wiseman, uh, author of a new book, Impact Players How to Take the Lead, so play great. Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact. Thank you so much. You crushed it. Grand slam. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest. You're terrific. All of Thank it. You. Awesome. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> so good talking to you both. Thank you so much. Wow. By the way, I'm so glad Ray wasn't here for the episode because he doesn't know squat about sports. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd be talking about golf. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. We, you know, I'm like, hey, Ray, what did you think of a so-and-so play last night? He's like, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. I, yes. That was so much fun, Vala. Can, like, but can I come back when the guests are like, Listen, I don't know. Like, you don't have Corey, any bad guests, Joel though. Joel and Liz were unbelievable. Like, this was the fastest hour of my month. Forget so good. So good. And thanks so much for having me. Thanks for entrusting me and being in this box next to you. You know, I love and adore you. So thanks you are, for having me. You are awesome. And this show wouldn't have been as great if you weren't here. Okay. So next week, we don't have a show. No show. Thanksgiving, Turkey Enjoy. Day. We're going to eat. I think it's my favorite holiday. No gifts, football. Food, family. Yeah. So, you know, no with pressure. the fam, it's all good. But you've got a hot episode, 259 coming up we on do. December we 3rd. Do. And we, we just conducted, our, Liz Wiseman was our 790th interview. Dang. So we're, we're getting closer to the 800 mark in three, mm. in three to four weeks. Episode 259, which will be December 3rd, we have Patrick Nee, founder and CEO of IT Advisor and managing partner at Boyden Executive Search. We have Gary Bowles, Chair for the Future of Work at Singularity University. Nice. Author of The Next Rules of Work. I want to know about The Next Rules. And Kelly Bissell, Global Cybersecurity Lead at Accenture. Nice. Uh, another awesome That's going to be a great, because talk about where people are burning out. 
It's security. It's security. It's, and it's harsh. And those threat vectors are getting super, super complicated. Man, your purple yeah. team better be good. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. red teams are getting really good. Okay, Liz, your closing thoughts on episode... Uh, My closing thoughts is um, I have watched Mark Benioff's face this entire episode, and it's freaking me out. I love him. I love you. But that book faced out there in the corner is crazy, man. Um, no, listen, awesome... Awesome, awesome, awesome. I think that the key thing that I'm taking away from hearing these three great guests is make intentional choices about where your life needs to be and wants to be, and then try to make sure that everyone else around you has the opportunity to be the impact player that they want to be. Because then that's going to get you to be the impact player that you need to be. So hopefully I can do that. Uh, think what about you? Term. Think long-term, care yeah. about the experience, and don't limit your contribution to your job description. You can do Love those that. three things. I think you're in good shape. Liz Miller, uh, thank you so much. Episode 258 is in the books. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. We'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks, everyone.